Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, good morning again. Oftentimes, Nicole will sing a song right before I get up here to preach that moves me to tears, and she laughs about it. Tag, you're it. (laughs) Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 2. We are going verse by verse through this amazing book. Special occasions usually provide some very special moments along with them, and weddings tend to be at the top of our list when we think about life's most inspiring and important moments. A woman and her five-year-old daughter were attending the wedding of a relative. This was the first time the little girl had ever been to a wedding ceremony. She was in awe by the pomp and the beauty of everything. The music, the formal atmosphere, the decorations, the bride and groom and their attendants in fine gowns and the tuxedos. At one point during the ceremony, the little girl leaned over to her mother and whispered, Mommy, Mommy. What, dear? replied the mother. Why is the bride dressed in white? Well, the mother thought for a moment and struggled to come up with a simple explanation her daughter would understand and be satisfied with. Finally, she smiled and and said to her daughter, the bride wears white because white is the color of happiness. And today is the happiest day of her life. The little girl pondered this for a moment and then said, Mommy, so why is the groom wearing black? (laughs) Things that make you go, hmm. A pastor by the name of Eric Snyder tells this story. He said, I recently did a wedding. During the wedding rehearsal, the groom pulled me aside and made me an offer. He said, look, pastor, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you'll change the wedding vows. When you get to me and the part where I'm to promise to love, honor, or love, honor, and obey, I'd appreciate it if you just kind of leave that, skip over that part. And he handed me a a $100 bill and walked away. Well, the day of the wedding, the bride and groom were in front of me, and we were to that part of the ceremony where the vows are exchanged. When it came time for the groom's vows, I looked at the young man and said, will you promise to kneel before her, obey her every command and wish, serve her breakfast in bed every morning of your life, and swear eternally before God and your lovely wife that you will never even look at another woman as long as you both shall live. The groom gulped. And in a strange whispered voice said, I do. Then he leaned in and he whispered harshly. He said, Pastor, what happened? I thought we had a deal. I handed him his $100 back and I told him, sorry. 
she made me a better offer. <laughs> that was not the time to go cheap. <laughs> Weddings often don't go as planned, and today we're about to look at one such event that went sideways during the celebration feast. To set things up, Jesus has begun to call his 12 disciples. At this point, he's only called six, if you uh, have counted them. He's got six of, the, of these young guys with him at the wedding, and he's, out, he's uh, he set out for an appointment with Destiny at a wedding in Cana, where his new students will witness for the first time his first of many miracles to follow during his ministry years. Every day was a learning day for these young followers of Christ. And I was reminded this week that every day we have the opportunity to learn more about our Savior if we'll just take the time to do so. Listen, folks, this is a little side note. I won't charge you for this. This is free. Be in the Word. If you're not in the Word, get in the Word. Every single, every single day. I, I, I do it in the morning. You don't have to do it in the morning. You can do it whenever you want. Whatever fits your life. But be in the Word. Read the Word. I would encourage you to get a devotional. My favorite ones are from Dr. David Jeremiah. And they come in a little 365-day uh, devotional book. Kind of looks like a, bi a small Bible. And it's got a, a leather. Uh, they're leather-bound with that really soft, supple leather that just feels so good in your hands. Get into that and read it. If you can, read it with your spouse. And then talk about it a little bit before you go out and head out into this world that's getting more dangerous and more crazy by the minute, it seems. I encourage you to take notes. They're on the back of your bullet in there. You flip them over. You can follow along. Because today we're about to learn the power of the Savior. The power of the Savior. Look down at chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, now this is the third day after Jesus had called Nathanael, so it's been three days, third day after he called Nathanael, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now Cana is about 40 miles from where John was baptizing, and they of course had to walk there, so it's a couple of days anyway. And the mother of Jesus was there. In our story today, we'll see Jesus in three roles. We're going, to see, we're going to look at Jesus in three roles. Role number one, we see Jesus as the invited guest. Jesus is the guest. Look down at verse 2. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, it's not likely that Jesus was invited to this wedding because he was the Messiah. Now, perhaps only his men knew this at the time, and Mary, of course, his mother, was told that by the angel. So there's only a handful of people that know he's the Messiah. It's likely that he was a family member of one of the people getting married that got him there. But, but just let me insert this. It's a, it's a really good idea to invite Jesus to your wedding. <laughs> wouldn't you think so? I mean, if you had the opportunity, wouldn't you send him an invitation? He'd be at the top of my list for sure. Debbie and I made sure that Jesus and our Heavenly Father were invited to and honored 
at our wedding that took place 17 years ago, three months, 20 days ago this weekend, April 9th, 2005, 6,241 days ago. But honey, it only feels like 4,332 days to me, so. <laughs> uh, you got to get points even if they're weak. Uh, it's really a good idea to invite Jesus to your wedding, but let me tell you this, it's a great idea to invite him to your marriage. See, weddings last for a day. You're going to live your marriage out for the rest of your life, so invite him. Make sure Jesus is in the middle of it. Why? Because living out a great marriage is difficult on the best of days, but it's impossible without Christ at the center of it. Do you know what it takes to go from good to great? Follow Christ. Put yourself third and become a servant to Him first as you serve your wife or, or husband and kids, and you'll go from good to great in the eyes of God and in the eyes of your family. That's the kind of legacy I want to leave behind. I want included, I want my kids to look maybe in the weeks after my death and say, you know what? Dad wasn't perfect by a long shot, but he loved his wife. He loved our mother. I want to be like that. That's the kind of legacy I want to leave behind. That's a legacy worth leaving behind. Here's something else that's cool about Jesus being invited to this wedding. He said yes. He is involved in the everyday life. He's involved in your special occasions and mine. But he also wants to be invited into every single day in between as well. Why? Because life happens. Plans fall apart and people fail. As we're about to see in this lesson and story this morning, but let me tell you, Jesus never fails, and we need him every hour of every day. I'm reminded of the other hymn, of another hymn, I need you, oh how I need you, every hour I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. If we would only live out those words in our life. Well, we're seeing Jesus in three roles. Role number one, we see Jesus as the invited guest. And next, in role number two, we see Jesus as the son. He's the son of Mary, of course, at this wedding. Verse number three. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, on the surface, this sounds like Jesus is being a little sharp. Wow, you called your mom woman? I might have done that one time. <laughs> but when I regained consciousness, I never <laughs> did that again. No, but in the Hebrew, this is not an insult. It sounds like it in, the, in English and in our culture. Jesus is actually being tender with her. That word woman in the Hebrew is actually a, a respectful wor word for a lady. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now to us today, this may not seem like a huge problem. So what? They ran out of, out of a drink at a wedding. Uh, can't you just do without? Well, no. As a matter of fact, you can't. To begin with, Jewish wedding celebrations lasted seven 
days. People came from all over to attend these things. And to run out of food and drink was a major disaster, socially speaking. Another problem, to run out of wine at a wedding celebration could incur a significant fine by the Pharisees, by the Jewish authorities. There was a law against this. Imagine the embarrassment within the community of people in which you lived. Imagine being the butt of jokes, not for just years, but for the rest of your life. No one ever ran out of wine. No one ever was short on the food. That would have been a major disaster. Mary must have been close to the family throwing this party since she was aware before any of the guests could find out. She was right in the middle of it, as a matter of fact. Perhaps she was serving in the kitchen, maybe overseeing some of the banquets that would take place over these seven days. However she becomes aware of the need, she knows exactly who to run to with the need. Notice a quick comparison here between two Marys. This week, I was thinking of the mother of Jesus, and she knew where to go for the solution to a problem, but, but she didn't try to tell him what to do or when to do it in order to solve the problem. She just goes to him. He responds to her. She looks at the servant and says, whatever he says, just do it. Now, contrast that with Mary, the sister of Lazarus, the friend of Jesus. She was pretty good friends with him. She knew who to go to when her brother was on his deathbed, Lazarus, of course. But she also tried to tell Jesus how and when to fix the problem. You remember, she sent word, hey, you got to get back here. Lazarus is on his deathbed. You need to come here. Well, Jesus hears the news and goes, okay, great. I'm going to wait two more days. <laughs> and his disciples look at him kind of funny. And he says, no, this is, this, is going, I'm, this is going to work out. I'm going to have the opportunity to do something that's going to blow your mind. Just, just wait till this happens. Well, then he arrives, and what does Mary do? Oh, she's not happy with him. Lord, if you'd have been here, where were you? Two days to walk? Four miles? Lord, he wouldn't be dead if you'd have showed up. And of course, Jesus has words with her and softly explains about what's going to happen. But Mary tried to tell Jesus how to fix the problems. Listen, when we encounter one of life's crises, it's important that we run to Jesus, but we leave him room to work and time to work. And if you're like me, those don't sit well. <laughs> I'm a fixer. So many times in my life I have run to Jesus with my crisis, but then I elbowed him out of the way, and I've gotten in between the crises and <laughs> the Christ. I go to him in faith, but turn around and deny that faith by trying to fix the problem on my own because he doesn't appear to be doing it soon enough. Note to self, when problems arise as they will, run to Jesus on our knees in prayer, pour out your heart, cry to him in your pain, but leave him time to work and leave him room to work. 
Now back to the wedding theme we've been looking at. Remember this, especially us fixers in life, especially us husbands who have a solution for every problem. When troubles come into your marriage, your parenting, your house, your life, try to reduce, listen to this, when you see the problem, when the crisis arrives at your door, try to reduce the transition time between, oh no, I have a crisis, and we need to run and tell Jesus about this. Try to do that. Try to reduce this to as short as is humanly possible. For in doing so, you will give the enemy much less opportunity to intervene and interject himself into the crisis. Paul warned us about our enemy. He's wicked, and his desire is to kill your testimony. He can't can't prevent you from going to heaven. He knows that. But what he can do is try to kill your testimony, wipe you out so that you have no influence on people around you. Paul wrote these words, Be sober, that means to be self-controlled. Be vigilant, that means to be watchful, to look out. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood, in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I like that God settles us. I have read that verse, I have taught that verse 50 times. This week, for some reason, the words, and settle you, just jumped off the page at me. He, the Lord wants to set, we're, this world, in this world, we're going to have a lot of unsettling things happen to us. Jesus came to settle you. He gave, God gave us his word to settle us. This past week, a lifelong friend of mine was down in Tahiti with her husband celebrating their 35th wedding anniversary. They enjoyed the first week of what was supposed to be three weeks together when they were involved in a tragic accident on a smaller neighboring island. She sustained numerous fractures, broken hips, pelvis, but her husband sustained life-threatening injuries. To name a few, a broken neck, seven broken ribs, and the list is too long to read. She was taken to the local hospital on the little island for treatment, but he had to be life-flighted back to Tahiti where there was a larger hospital and better treatment. He remained in a coma and in critical condition. She has begun her long recovery separated from her husband, by many miles. I have to admit, when I got word of this, it just broke my heart and made me cry. Couldn't believe this was happening to him. And to be separated just was, it was just compound injuries. 
But let me tell you what happened after she gained consciousness. She began to pray. And if you know this woman, <laughs> she's, a God, she's a Christ follower in every sense. At her church in, off of Seattle there, the young ladies pursue her because they want to be discipled by her. Because she loves the Lord and she lives a life that they want to live. She has a huge impact in her church. When she became conscious, she began to pray. She thanked God for the many years she's had with this amazing man. She thanked God for sparing their lives. She asked God for healing. She asked God to be glorified in all of this tragedy. And she asked him, would you use me even now in this hospital? And did he ever show up in a big way? She began to share Christ with her nurse. The nursing staff has come to love her, bringing her treats of fruit and other things off the island that she has come to enjoy. One brought her a Bible in their own dialect, and they signed it for her, all the nursing staff presented it to her. They see her faith. She has seen God work in the hearts and the lives of many people there because she knew who to run to in the crisis. And she knew He would answer her in her time of trouble. She knew that. God is healing this woman and using her as a lighthouse for others. Her husband, a retired Navy pilot, while still in critical condition, should be well enough. In fact, I got a, a phone call last night. He has to be able to breathe on his own. And got him on a breathing apparatus. But they say, look, we can't transport him like this. He's got to be able to breathe because that's a long plane ride back to the States. And yesterday, ooh, he opened his eyes for the first time. Last night, he breathed on his own. <laughs> Isn't that great? And this morning, he got on a plane in his gurney. They put him on there with a doctor on this jet, and they sent him back. And there's one place that can take him right now, Balboa Hospital in San Diego. And he arrived this morning. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. All this to say that when you get that crisis call, when you experience grievous loss, and we all will eventually, when you get overwhelmed by that tragedy, when the world comes crashing in, run to Jesus. Tell Him your grief. Tell Him how you hurt. But leave the solution up to Him. Give Him time to work. Be faithful when He gives you the opportunity to shine for Him. And trust Him with the outcome. Why? Because the God of all grace, who called us, to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after we have suffered for a while, will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Well, we left off with our host in the wedding, in the lurch, so I guess we better get back to this story. The host family is out of wine, a major faux pas. They ran to get her son, Jesus, and and she brings him into the crisis of their need. And here's what happens. We've been looking at Jesus in three roles. We've seen him already as the guest. We've seen him as Mary's son at this event. And now we see Jesus as the provider. Thank God he's a provider. 
Notice that Jesus' first miracle is done in relative anonymity. Only Mary and a few servants are aware of what's going on. That's how God works so many times. That's why we are called to give Him glory. See, the world doesn't know what's going on behind our closed doors often, most of the time. But when God shows up in a big way, He tells us to give Him glory, to go tell the story to someone else that needs to hear it. And today, there there might be someone out here, there might be someone watching online that needs to hear this story who's about to go into a very dark moment in their life. They need to hear this, and they need to hear your story of God's faithfulness to you. Give them a testimony of His goodness. Let's finish our story now. Verse 6. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now these were large jars of water that would stand at the entryway to every meal. So that as you walked through, Jewish law said you had to ritually clean your hands. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.